Hi, this is the Nonprofit Inbound Marketing Show, the podcast for nonprofit and mission driven organizations where we talk about fundraising challenges, helping your organization to make positive impact and do good in the community. Every week, I interview leaders and experts in the nonprofit sector who work with dozens of mission driven organizations like yours and share their best strategies how to overcome the daily challenges of growing a nonprofit. This podcast is brought to you by DepositFix, a donation processing platform designed for nonprofits that use HubSpot. Welcome to the show. Hi, everyone. Today, it is my pleasure to interview Graham Wright. He's the founder of Opus Affair. They work exclusively with arts and culture nonprofits, and I am excited to chat with you today, Graham. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. So tell us a little bit more about your company. Sure. So like you said, we, we focus entirely on arts and culture organizations, but I suppose it bears mentioning that we didn't start off initially as an agency. We actually began as a community organization first, organizing monthly networking events and other partnered events with arts and culture organizations to help them grow new audiences from the event organization side. And it was after about six years of doing that, that I recognized that there was a need to really kind of dig in deeper and, and partner with organizations at a level that we couldn't just as an event partner. And that's what launched the consulting services side of Opus Affair about six years ago. And that's the side that really just grew like crazy. So before that, it was a part-time project for me. And now we have a team of you know four full-time people and then a handful of freelancers and part-time folks we use. But that's sort of how, how it all began. So over the last six years, we've been working with arts and culture nonprofits across the U.S. So that can mean theater companies, symphony orchestras, opera companies, but also, you know, museums or science centers, botanical gardens, all kinds of cultural institutions. Very good. And how, how is it that you specifically started to be interested in working with nonprofits? Well, before I ended up on this side, the administration and marketing in, in particular, I actually had a career as an opera singer. So I, I worked, <laughs> I worked, say, on, on the product side of this industry. So I, I was part of the product. Um, so yeah, I worked as an opera singer when I was getting started on the event organization side. So I was heavily involved in creating the performances. And then I would just see the conversations that would happen about, you know, who wasn't in the audience? Are we not getting, say, younger audiences? Are we not getting audiences from certain other, say, demographics? So, yeah, so I came to it from that side. And it was more trying to solve a problem to keep my industry alive. And, you know, over the years, I've moved entirely to the administration side now. So I've, I haven't sung in a few years now, but it, it still is sort of the heart and soul behind everything we do. So... Let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you see with the nonprofits that you work with. What are some of the biggest challenges that, and, and you primarily work with helping those nonprofits with events, right? Uh, or is there something else that you help them with? No, so we're, we're a HubSpot partner agency. So, you know, we have you know, inbound marketing as part of our services. We do a lot of, you know, digital advertising, you know, Facebook ads, Google ads, specifically Google grants, graphic design and web development. We actually don't do nearly as much events as we did in the beginning. That was sort of the, the entree to get into things. So now it's much more just focused on digital marketing. So I'd say the challenge is, could really be divided into two categories, the technical challenges and then say the institutional and, and, and people kind of challenges. So I'd say on the technical challenges side, the thing we run into the most 
is that let's say, you know, a client organization is completely sold on, on the idea of HubSpot. It still needs to integrate somehow with their e-commerce platform to really get to the good stuff. And in the world of arts and culture organizations, we tend to have really like industry specific e-commerce platforms. So box office platforms for ticketing for say theater companies, they're usually also handling the, the donations. So they're really specialized. You know, if you want to be able to you know, run subscriptions for a theater company or have reserved seating for complicated layouts of a theater, there's kind of a short list of, of ticketing platforms that could really handle, say, a fully professional theater company. Similar sort of thing with museums and galleries where, say, you might sell one general admission ticket, but there's lots of add-ons and you have to be able to track timed admission. So it tends to be the case that there's going to be an e-commerce platform that is not going to change. So we're, we have to figure out how can we integrate with that or come up with, say, some operating procedures to do some exporting and importing and, and somehow get the ticketing data to talk to HubSpot. So that, I'd say, is the, the biggest category of like the, the technical side. We're just kind of stuck on these box office tools that aren't really going to change. How about the second kind of challenge? The second kind of challenge is the people challenges. And that tends to be that like, you know, I'd say a lot of these institutions are, are, are pretty slow to change. You know, there's a lot of risk aversion. Sometimes you might find one or two folks, maybe even entire, say the marketing department might get excited about some changes, but it tends to be the, a lot of the leadership at the board level or say the development departments they usually aren't that excited about making any kind of changes to technology. So you really have to like, it's all, it can be a long sales process to get those folks bought in. So sometimes I think it's helpful to come up with a strategy where um, you focus on say one or two features that say the marketing department might be able to get approved on their own. And then you slowly work your way to get to win over the development department uh, or win over the, the executive directors. But uh, yeah, institutionally, there's a lot of the challenges are that they're just so slow moving and slow to change. What are some biggest opportunities that you see with arts and culture nonprofits when you start working with them? Where do you see the biggest, the lowest hanging fruit? Yeah, well, I'd say the, the one thing that really seems to resonate with all sorts of, of arts organizations, including some of those that are saying they're so like, you know, slow to change, is smart content. So many of these organizations, one of the biggest challenges is strategically in general, you know, not just in say digital marketing, is that they need to serve such a broad audience. You know, it's not like say some other industries where if you're deciding, deciding, you know, who a qualified customer is, you know, it might be based on a job title. The theater companies talking about who their customers are, they probably mean everyone within 50 miles, you know, or whatever the, whatever the radius of their city might be. You know, it's really broad categories of customers. And chances are to go with that sort of broad set of, of audiences that they serve, they've got all sorts of different programs and offerings that say maybe there's children's programming. There might be some things that are, say, you know, some that are, say, professional development programs, other things that are, say, more for for sophisticated, established fans of their subject area, others that are a little more introductory. So there's like, you know, there might be dozens and dozens of programs. So it tends to be that their websites get to be chaotic to reflect all of this. So when you can offer a solution that sort of distills it down and says, oh, I know you've got these 10 different audiences you want to reach with all these different priorities of what we want to say. And everybody in your organization is advocating that their thing is the most important and it should be on the front page of their website. 
you can offer them a solution to say, oh, well, let's use some of these smart lists and smart CTAs, smart content, and you can actually deliver in a much simpler way messages that reflect your priorities relative to each of those audiences. So I'd say that's kind of the, the big promise that can win over a lot of, a lot of organizations because it's a simple thing to show them like, hey, here's the homepage when you look at it. Here's the homepage when a first-time visitor looks at it. Here's what it looks like if the chair of your board is visiting. And you can just kind of change one little thing each time. And that is, is tangible enough that you don't have to be a sophisticated digital marketer to really like connect with that. So I found a lot of, a lot of folks will connect with that sort of approach. And you're only able to do that uh, when you are using HubSpot for that? Well, that's the approach we've used. You know, I'm sure you know there are other other tools that can do something similar. You know, if you're tracking cookies and you can see who's who's on the site, but that's the one that we use for this sort of approach. And it really it only works if we've got some you know the the right transactional data coming over from the box office. So if if we want to do something you know that's about people who purchase a ticket to a certain show getting a certain message, we want to make sure we're getting um, regular updates to those lists. Hmm. So, and how do you currently overcome this issue of getting accurate data from the box office? Yeah. So, well, one of the, there's, I'd say, one of the most popular box office platforms is built on top of Salesforce. So that's pretty helpful that it already has a Salesforce integration into HubSpot. So we can use that native integration. It takes a little bit of customizing on the Salesforce side, but you can get through that pretty easily. There's a couple of other platforms that are really popular that don't have any kind of integration or the integrations take a lot of heavy customization and you need to bring in, say, a, a firm that specializes just in that. For example, Tessitura is a really popular box office platform that the, the biggest enterprise organizations in the country use. It's possible to build an integration there, but that's definitely something where I'd say you, you go to a specialist firm that just does integrations and it's a pretty tedious API to work with. So, <laughs> But there's people who do it. And then I'd say the other category of approaches is if we can just do something sort of a, a simple approximation with say Google Tag Manager, where if we can just capture some transactions on the purchase path, there's a lot of these box office platforms that'll at least let us put in Tag Manager and then we can at least register the online transactions. And for a lot of campaigns, that's probably good enough. You know, we'll miss out on, on the, some of the transactions that might be coming through walk up at the box office. But we might be able to catch those with, you know, the other category of just, you know, having a schedule for importing and exporting and doing that with some kind of regularity. And that, that last approach tends to be kind of the fallback that whatever platform you're in, chances are you should be able to export something that you'll then be able to import into uh, HubSpot or whatever other platform you might be using. Any other interesting insights or tips that you found while working with arts and culture nonprofits? Let's see. From the marketing standpoint. Yeah, from the marketing standpoint. I say one of the things that's just kind of, in, you know, refreshing about working with these folks is tends to be they're, they're swimming in interesting content already. You know, you don't have to get them to, to come up with interesting ideas for videos or photos or, or you know, blog posts. They, I mean, chances are they've got tons of them already. So it's really nice to be able to just jump in and help them structure them, help them understand some, some content clusters or even, you know, really frequently just help them understand which things are, are already generating, say, good organic traffic for them. They might be doing better than they realized to begin with. So I think it's kind of nice to feel like that some of the creative burden is lifted, that there's, there's so much happening already um, that you can just kind of wrangle and redirect 
So I'd say that's one thing that is nice about working with the, uh, these cultural nonprofits. I think the other aspect of it I'd say to think about is in say the marketing industry in general, we're generally talking about sales teams and marketing teams that for most of, you know, most of these nonprofits, everything we say about marketing teams in other industries generally would apply, but the sales team side, I'd say is typically a, a development team. So the fundraisers typically fall um, into that sales language side. So sometimes a large part of our job in, in getting a company oriented is about just translating. Right. There's just some of the terminology. They look at the documentation and see sales and they think, well, that's not us. What's this isn't for us and kind of translating. OK, well, what's the jargon of fundraisers and how they talk about some of these sorts of things? And that generally a, a tool that's labeled as sales probably is going to be really applicable for fundraising. We just got to speak the right language to get them to understand that. Got it. Are there any other questions that I didn't ask you but should have or something that maybe you, you can you know, sh- share a little bit more? I'd say, you know, the uh, kind of getting back to some of those low hanging fruit questions that every single nonprofit, arts and culture nonprofit I, I interact with, one of the first things I ask them about is if they're using Google grants and that that's just something that almost every nonprofit will qualify for as long as they're not a, a school, um, they should get that. And that's just easy money for them to be using. So I'd say that's one of the first things I'd walk into any project. There's, there's not a lot of one size fits all recommendations, but that's one that almost always is going to make sense. Absolutely. And approximately what percentage of companies that you start working with have applied this versus have not, which I agree, this is free money. But uh, I found that not, not, not a lot of companies know about it. Yeah, you know, I agree with you completely. I'd say, boy, it's less than 50% we work with that have it already. And probably of that 50%, there's, you know, half of that group aren't even really using it. Just somebody thought to apply for it a few years ago and it's sitting there, you know, dormant. So maybe overall there might be a quarter that have it and are using it. But yeah, it's definitely a minority. Tell us a little bit more about that, just so that, you know, everyone listening to that understand what uh, Google Grants are. Yeah, so the Google Grants, you know, if you qualify for it, you know, which is most nonprofits, it's it's $10,000 a month in free ad credits. And that's a lot of ad credits. <laughs> Certainly for most of these organizations, you have to like, you have to work pretty hard to get those spent. So there are just, you know, a few little restrictions. So they're not spent exactly like if you were really spending dollars, but not that many restrictions at all. So I'd say it's, it's worth it to get started. There's, you know, you can always do the express version, get, get started yourself if you don't have anybody who's a specialist working with you yet. But yeah, it's, it doesn't take long to get approved. And if, if all you're doing is putting up just a couple of ads that kind of are consistent with the language you might have on your website already, even that bare minimum would be useful. Now, where can listeners know more about you and what you do and connect with you? Yeah, so our, our website is opusaffair.com or, you know, um, on all the uh, social media platforms, we're usually at Opus Affair. And, you know, I'm, I'm pretty easy to track down to, you know, on, on Twitter, I'm GT Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T. So I'm always happy to chat with folks working in, in uh, nonprofits and especially the arts about how, how we're finding new audiences for what we do. Cool. Any last parting words? No, I think this has been a, it's been lovely to, to chat with you. I'm, I'm excited to find, you know, like-minded folks who are trying to, to solve these problems together. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. And I'm so honored that you are listening to the show. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast. If you have any time to leave a review, I'd really appreciate it if you take it just a second to leave the rating.